Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to yet another Outer Hour. I'm your host, Tom London. It's good to be with you tonight. Thank you for joining us. This is the show where once a week on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock, where we get together with the Outer team who bring you this show uh, and we talk about the big issues that affect us as South Africans. Of course, the biggest issue that we face in this country at the moment is corruption. It is a scourge that we've been dealing with for a decade or more. And every week we take a look at the various aspects and stories around the corruption we see in South Africa. Tonight we will be talking about the Orange Mask campaign. We will also be dealing with the Public Protector's failed legal bid. And Wayne Duvenage will bring us up to speed with the Zondo Commission's subpoena on Jacob, former President Jacob Zuma. It promises to be a packed hour. And I'd also like to pop the question of uh, an amnesty into the show tonight, seeing that our former public protector brought it up this week, and like to see what you have to say as Outer Hour viewers. But first, let me introduce you to the team tonight. First up is Wayne Duvenage, CEO of Outer. Hello, Wayne. Nice to see you. Nice to be with you and the viewers tonight and the listeners, Tom, and to welcome the Zakira Fadi, uh, who we've worked with uh, very closely at the Ahmed Petrada Foundation. Extremely busy person, doing so much coordinating uh, uh, within the civil society space. So look forward to uh, her input on the Orange Mask campaign and, and, and just to the discussion and the engagement with the uh, viewers. Well, let's welcome from the Ahmed Katrada Foundation for the first time on Outer Hour, Sakira Vadi. Hello, Sakira. Nice to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much, Tom, um, Wayne, and the rest of the team from Outer. Um, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Sakira is the Foundation Strengthening Democracy Coordinator and will bring us up to speed with the Orange Mask campaign. And then everybody's favorite advocate, Advocate Stefani Fick. Good evening, Stefani. How are you tonight? How's it, Tom? And how's it, everybody? Always a pleasure to be here and looking forward to tonight's um, conversation. Exciting. Always exciting. <laughs> It's good to have you with us, and it's good to have you with us, wherever you're watching from or listening from in South Africa or the world. This show is put together for South Africans to discuss and deal with corruption along with your outer team. Now, it has become customary at the start of the show to say hello to each other in true South African style and see who's on board. Remember, you can pop your comments and questions on the various topics we're dealing with tonight in the comment section down below the video. The outer comms team is in the room. Samantha van Nispen, head of comms marketing at Arta, assisted by Iva Cleary, is uh, inside the comments section, actually. They're both there. They're going to be answering your questions and comments. You can deal with them directly in the comments section. The show is produced by Benele Sanatla. And first up tonight is Yuri Fick, who says hello and good evening. Hello, Yuri. Good to have you on board. Ashley Elof Muller. Hi, my favorite team, says Ashley. Ashley is on board. Nice to see you. Judy van Gilsvijk, regular viewer. Hello, Judy. Good to have you on board with 
with us tonight, Devotion Mudley, who earlier today on Outer's page says, I'm in, I'll be there, and Devotion is. Nice to have you with us, Devotion. Uh, Peter Rosemer, regular viewer, seen all the regular names tonight, and don't forget to like and share this video so we can get it out to more and more people. Uh, Peter Rosemer says, good evening all. We'll run through a couple more. Esna Erasmus says, hello team from uh, my favorite city, Cape Town. Uh, we've got Jaya Chetty. Hello, Jaya. Good evening to you. Good to have you on board tonight. Uh, Hilda Mayer says, good evening, outer team. Uh, Heinz Brunner says, good evening, team. Ram Govender says, good evening, outer. Good to be here. Nice to have you with us, Ram. Welcome to the show. Clive Davis says, Clive Davis. Go oh, no, that's outer saying good day. <laughs> to Clive Davis. Yes, Clive, da Clive Davis. Clive says, greetings, team and listeners. We'll do a couple more. Donnie Hayward's on board. Bronwyn Grammer is on board. Roland Krabenhoft is on board. Hello, Roland. Good to have you with us. Michael John Billsbury. Hi, Tom and all the outer angels. Nice to have you with us. John Oscar says, good evening, all. Trust everyone is well. I think we are. Everyone's looking really um, perky tonight. Uh, Clive Graham Beckett. Great show, people. How many bums in jail in the past week? Tell you what, uh, Clive, I will start the show with that discussion with Wayne this evening. How's that? Uh, Barbara Schillingor. Uh, hello, Barbara. Good to have you on board. Hi, everyone, says Barbara. Samantha Van Nispen. Well, there she is. Sam says, hello, everybody. Donnie Hayward says, hello, out of supporters. Uh, we've got, oh, there's the favorites coming in for Stefani. My favorite Stefani, says Jaya. Dion Pretorius has already started with the comments saying public protectors are a joke. We'll deal with that in that section, I promise you. Rian Stain says, thank you, Arthur, for standing up for us. Bertus Devet is on board. Sharish Sony is on board. Mojolefa Murphy says, hello from Toronto. Hi from the, hi from home. <laughs> nice to have you with us, Mojolefa. Good to see you. Sam Murphy says, hi. Dion Pretorius, Jochi Fulyun, and Alan Woolman, and more will join us as we make our way through the hour. Let's start, Wayne, shall we, with um, so the news. There's been a lot of news this week. Uh, you know, I've been looking at, firstly, the news today that uh, the national state of disaster will be extended another month. Then we see uh, latest news, a wife of an army general being arrested for 100 million rand tender fraud. Uh, Siabonga Gama's legal costs apparently were paid by or agreed to be paid by Transnet despite a costs order. That came out in the commission. The SIU uh, has spoken about four officials who pocketed 44 million gratification in respect of delays at Eskom. And then there was a story that Eskom execs have pocketed 100 million in kickbacks. This is uh, in relation to a cloud computing system. And we hear Salim S's name come up over and over again in Zondo. Are the wheels of justice starting to turn, Wayne? Um, yes, uh, Tom, absolutely. Uh, we always say that they're not turning fast enough, and, and, and I'll ask Stefani to come in as well just to chat a bit about this. But, uh, you know, last week and the week before, when you start to see government officials, uh, ANC MPs, are now being hauled into the courts uh, and, and out on bail, uh, you know, the, the NPA are not putting together frivolous cases. These are strong cases, so when they do lay charges. We believe they're extremely strong. So Vincent Smith uh, is now um, out on bail. And we are aware of a number of others. We've seen a lot of uh, police officers. Uh, we've seen uh, ANC MPs um, and, and MECs and uh, high-ranking individuals in, in, in provincial government now being taken to task. So I think for a long time, this, there's an understanding of this frustration that not enough is happening. And we agree with that. 
But it's like the kettle is starting to boil now. The small bubbles are starting mm. to, 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 to form, formulate. And, and, and we believe that the eruption, the, uh, the, the so-called big fish that we're looking for, a couple of them, and there's more, um, are about to be hooked. So, yeah, we're a lot more positive. Uh, and we, we understand what's going on behind the scenes. And as we've said all, the, all along, you know, the holodot institutions are finding it tough, but they're gaining momentum. And momentum is everything in change. Momentum is everything when it comes to uh, changing matters and, 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 and seeing action taking place. And that, we believe, is starting to build up. So I think we're in for some exciting times going forward when it comes to the fight. Against a, corruption. a surprising story today, Wayne, was Angelo Agrizi appearing in the in court. Uh, his legal team seemingly caught off guard by the state opposing bail. It looked like he was going to get bail. He has had bail in a previous uh, hearing. But uh, the, the, the mention was made that he has moved money offshore and he's considered a flight risk and his bail was denied. Your comments on that? Well, maybe Stefani uh, better to comment there. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, actually. I think he is a bit of a flat risk. But what do you make of it, Stefani? Tell us, Stefani. Um, if she's not no, on no. <laughs> I found the button. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sorry, I was reading all the lovely comments here, so you will actually have to repeat your question. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> No, no, no problem. I, I was, I was uh, referring to Angelo uh, Grisi's uh, denied bail bid uh, this afternoon uh, in court, and uh, the mention was, was made that he had moved money offshore. It, it seemed as if he was yeah. going to get bail, at least his legal team thought, thought so, but uh, that wasn't the case. Um, yeah, bail is always a difficult thing. The main question about bail applications is will you stand your trial. Bail is not punishment. So it is bail in, um, a bail amount is not set in order to give you, you know, punishment. It's about the question, are you going to stand your trial? So if there's, if the state gets any whiff of you having offshore assets or moving money, so there's, there's evidence that you may just pack your bags and leave the country then the possibility of you getting bail is actually, um, you know, quite slim. What is, what is sad about the greasy oil, not necessarily sad, we want to see criminals prosecuted. If someone was asking the question, is, is Agrisi actually going to be prosecuted on the evidence that he provided the State Capture Commission? So it is actually a very interesting scenario. But also you have to take him on, and I don't want to, um, you know, say that Agrisi shouldn't get bail or should get bail. So this is just an, an objective um, remark, is that he hasn't gone anywhere. So what will also count in his favour is the fact that he's been here all along. So, um, you know, why would he leave now? But, yeah, interesting, very, very interesting. Would I have given him bail? Don't know. Interesting question. Okay, let's move into the show, shall we? First up, we're going to be talking about the Orange Masks campaign and Zakir Avadi from the Ahmed Katrada Foundation. She's in charge of the Strengthening Democracy Program. She's a coordinator there, rather, uh, is joining us on the line. Uh, tell us about uh, this Orange Mask campaign, Zakir, against uh, COVID-19 corruption. What's it about? Thanks, Tom. Um, as you've said, it's about COVID-19 corruption very specifically. 
We felt, um, I think earlier in the year, we had a joint call from the Ahmed Kathrada Foundation together with the South African Council of Churches and a few other liberation history organizations. And the call there was for government to take a tougher stance against C-19 corruption. Um, there was, I think, widespread, widespread public anger about the revelations that were coming out at that stage, mm. initially from Gauteng province and then throughout the country. Um, and subsequently, I think organizations who have been involved in anti-corruption work felt the need to embark on this campaign. And at its heart, it's about calling for consequences for C-19 corruption, for transparency around C-19 procurement, um, and then lastly, for accountability. So where does the buck stop for C-19 corruption? And I think um, while it is at this stage limited to C-19 corruption, it obviously has um, larger long-term ramifications, particularly around, for instance, issues like policy procurement, um, issues of accountability, um, and long-term, I think, governance, governance mechanisms that need to be put in place. So that's, that's the general thrust of the campaign. The orange masks are symbolic. Um, Last year, sometime, you had Archbishop Tabo Mofoba calling for orange overalls and Aha. for 2020 to be made the year of orange overalls for leaders. Um, and we basically took the same theme, um, m- sort of merged it with the idea of C19, that's the mask, um, and that's credited to the active citizens movement in, in KZN that came up with that brilliant idea. And we felt that this can be something very symbolic. People can wear the orange mask every Friday at various pickets and protests. Uh, leading up to December 9th, when we think the, the campaign can culminate. That's the International Day Against Corruption. And then, uh, Zakira, tell me, uh, w- w- how does the average active citizen get involved in this? What are some of the campaign activities? How do, how do people get involved? Well, at this stage, we're trying to make the campaign um, gather national momentum. So we've set up provincial working groups. Um, each province has a working group where people organize activities per week. So it's an every Friday protest. That's the first avenue where people can participate. So you don't need to be part of a formal organization. Um, it can You can be part of a business, a community group. You can be just your family. So you can make your orange mask, wear an orange mask, um, uh, get someone locally to make orange masks for you, wear it on a Friday, Stand outside with your placards, organize your neighbors to do the same thing. Um, get your voices onto social media about this. You can use the hashtag, hashtag Orange Mask Campaign to be retweeted and, and we can pick up on some of the activities that are taking place. If you are part of a, a formal organization, you can endorse the campaign. So there's a campaign document and I can share my details at a later stage where people can, can get in touch with us to endorse that document or to have look at it and then, and then consider endorsement. And I think lastly, as we build up to December 9th, um, there will be key elements of the campaign, key dates. For instance, this Friday is World Food Day. So we're looking at the issue of perhaps food parcel corruption, um, government, uh, government's inability to deal with some of the issues related to, to food, the poverty crisis, the climate crisis. Um, as we go along, there will be other major dates that will emerge um, and, and people can rally around those specific periods. Businesses in particular, um, you know, there's very symbolic things that can be done. You can fly orange from your business windows. You can fly orange from your, your um, from your cars. Mm. Um, I know Alta has masks that they, they've made with specific anti-corruption messaging on it, so people can get in touch with Alta to purchase that as well. 
Fantastic. I'm going to ask Sam and Ivor to put those details in the comment section so we know where to go to get our orange masks. But I love the suggestion of flying orange flags and using orange as, as a symbol. Uh, tell me about the importance of this campaign based on our current political, socio-economic uh, conditions in the country. Why is it important? Well, I think Wayne touched on it, um, well, Wayne touched on it initially, um, and I think you did in your opening remarks as well. Corruption is quite endemic to the country at the moment. We see it basically at every level of society, within municipalities, provincial level, national level. And I think um, we made the mistake in the sort of early years around tackling state capture about only focusing on the big capture stories that were taking place. So what was happening in, at ESCOM, what was happening at PRASA, we weren't necessarily f focused on what's happening at a municipal or provincial level. And I think C-19 corruption has really brought that to the fore. We're now starting to see in different municipalities the kind of widespread corruption um, that, that, that has occurred under C-19. And it just leaves question marks about what other corruption has been taking place while I think yeah. we've all had our eyes closed. So that's um, one of the, the elements of it. I think that C-19, secondly, also presents an opportunity for long-term policy mechanisms to be put in place. Certainly, I think for the first time, we've seen certain things happening. So such transparency around C-19 procurement where government puts out um, the kind of tenders or contracts that, that have uh, occurred in different provinces, that's something that civil society can certainly push for. And I know organizations like PARI and others are working extensively around looking at the policy mechanisms that can be introduced after this. Today, Outa had a show on whistleblowing. Um, the importance of this, not only under C-19, but going forward as the country, for instance, looks at IMF funding coming in um, at, at big infrastructure projects to try and you know build up the economy. These are, the, these are important mechanisms that need to be put in place beforehand. Um, I think la lastly, is just looking at the number of cases, keeping track of them. Society needs to be aware um, our last meeting around the Orange Mask campaign focused on how to get public education out there around C-19 uh, procurement, around issues of corruption, so that there's greater awareness around how citizens themselves can get involved in tackling corruption and speaking about it. So there's certainly large, larger contextual issues that do emerge around this. And I think um, one of the key things for us is as civil, we have 79 organizations that have currently endorsed this campaign. And if we can build civil society momentum, societal momentum against this sort of thing, it does lay the basis for greater grassroots mobilization around the issue of corruption in the years going forward. And that sustained effort is, is extremely important. Thank you, Zakira Vadi from the Ahmed Katrada Foundation. It's nice to have you on board. I hope we see more of you on the Outer Hour. Thank you for joining us on your first Outer Hour and have a great night. Good, good to be with you. And Thank yeah, just on my side, Tom, thanks, yes. Zakira, and, and for all the hard work you do, just coordinating civil society uh, in all these efforts. Uh, we, Arts is very pleased uh, that we are able to work with the Ahmed Katrada Foundation. So well done to you and the team. Thanks, Wayne. It's always a team effort, and the more civil society organizations that, that, get, that can work together, I think we strengthen our efforts tremendously. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Thank you, Zakira. Have a good night. Thank you. Good, goodbye now. Well, let's move Thank on. You very much, Tom. Uh, only a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Right. Let's move on to the issue of the public protector. And we're going to be chatting with Stefani Fick on this one. Stefani has all the details. 
three, uh, did, tell me if I've got this right, uh, Stefani. Three years ago, the complaint was laid in Parliament asking for an inquiry into the fitness of the current public protector uh, to hold office. Uh, the public protector went to court. Now there's been a failed legal bid, and my understanding is the Speaker of the House has to put the first assessment panel together. This is a two-stage removal process if she is removed. Just take us through uh, this, this story from, from the beginning, if you don't mind. Well, let's, let's start at the beginning. So except for the fact that, you know, as civil society, after later we complained about her behavior because I think it started with all, you know, um, I, I think the first judgment was the APSA judgment and the reserve bank just you know the, the the scaling judgment against against her so mm. i think that raised a lot of questions about whether she's competent enough to, to um fulfill her position so in terms of the constitution the um the public protector can be removed and two-thirds of parliament has to vote in favor of it but then um then the question started but how is, is, is Parliament going to do this? And they realized that they didn't have rules. So um, political parties, whether it's one or more than one, um, then petitioned Parliament to say that they, you know, they want um, her to be removed. We petitioned Parliament. And, um, and then Parliament realized that we need to um, get rules in order to remove not only the public protector, but any Chapter 9 institution which is, um, um, you know, in terms of our constitution. So that's where it started. So then it was a whole process of, you know, basically getting all the political parties to agree on what is the procedure to follow. And they agreed. They finally adopted um, the rules. Um, and then the recent case where the public protector then took basically parliament, the speaker, to court saying that these rules are infringing on her constitutional rights. So to come back to the rules, it is a two-part um, process. So um, um, what, what I understood the speaker to say is she's finally got the names of the panel um, that must, within 30 days, when she announced it, must in 30 days basically give Parliament, um, you know, an idea, is there enough evidence for her to be removed? And if they give the thumbs up, um, it will then go to Parliament, and then they will have to do, um, let's call it their investigation. So they will have to look at the evidence. They will, um, they will probably, they will give her an opportunity to give her version, and then obviously they have to make a decision and and vote on it. What will probably happen, if I'm, uh, if I understand it correctly, there will be a committee in Parliament that will do um, that investigation, and then once they bring out what they are thinking, then Parliament has to vote. So, yeah, that is in a nutshell. The rules are obviously pages, some pages full, but that is sort of just in a nutshell what now needs to happen. Stefani, when is Parliament going to deal uh, with this issue? How long does this take? Well, uh, soon. <laughs> Hopefully, please soon, because um, literally, you know, um, um, my... Uh, I don't know how much more South Africa can take. Because, you know, it's, it's the one judgment of the, the, the other. And it's not judgments. You know, if, if one more person asks, but, you know, isn't the law about disagreements? I would 
I'd be the first person to put my hand up and say, you know, put a, a bunch of legal people around a table. If you have 10 of them, you'll probably have 12 different opinions. Yes, we have an adversarial system um, where, um, you know, things are tested and, 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 and all of that. But we are not talking about courts that disagreed with her. Appeals and review are not whether you disagree with someone. It's about whether you are wrong. But these judgments, not one, not two, not three. There's quite a few. Even the Constitutional Court weighed in, and it's scathing judgments. It is, it is uh, you know, stuff like, you know, she either do not know what a constitutional duty is, um, um, or, you know, she just doesn't care. You know, stuff like that. And, 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 and we cannot, we cannot allow that, that the person that is at the head of a very important um, institution, um, you know, is, 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 is lambasted by that, by courts. I mean, you know, first she's an advocate. So it is, it's really, really sometimes for me personally, sometimes a bit embarrassing. Um, and we need to do something. So to answer your question, um, Parliament has to follow their own rules. They're obviously not going to, um, um, you know, people are probably, they don't like people telling them what to do, which is fair. But um, what I understood from the newspaper article is that, thank goodness, that um, three people were found. Because at some point, I don't know if everybody knows, the speaker had, had, had difficulty in appointing um, members for, 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 for this um, initial, um, sort of, let's call them a committee. Um, but she apparently has three names. Everybody is happy with the names. So this can now stop. Why should, we, why should we care about this? Why, why should South Africans and civil society care about the issues at the Public Protector's Office? I've been looking at some of the comments and some people have very little faith in the Public Protector's Office generally. But that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's a, the, the, why do we have a Chapter 9 institution? In terms of our constitution, it's, it's not a statutory body. It's in terms of our constitution. There's just a few of them. And why is, is sort of the majority um, of the comments is we don't have faith in, in, in the public protector's office. If you, go, if you read what her obligations are and, 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 and what, and I'm saying she, but what the office, the public protector, whoever that is, mm. is um, the, the, the obligations of that office, it is supposed to, I think it's one of those institutions that is supposed to assist the little man. This is about investigating um, um, maladministration in the, the big guy, government. So it, 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 it's, it, I think it's this notion, if I can, uh, how I uh, like to picture it, it it's, it's your assistance as the, the little guy in order to take on the big guy, which is government, if there is something wrong. You should be able to go to the public protector and complain about certain things. The public protector should be an office that deals with com com complaints quickly, efficiently, and really be, we should have faith in the public protector, which I think we have lost a long time ago.
Does Parliament need a two-thirds majority to vote her out? Is, is, at the end of the day, we go through inquiries, but then you need, what, two-thirds of the parliamentarians to say, out you go. Is that, is, yes. you know, we can get all the way there and then, uh, and then you don't get the two-thirds majority. Yeah, um, yeah, that's probably, should it be two-thirds? Are we having a problem with the two-thirds because, you know, we are scared about, you know, state capture and the fact that, you know, Parliament, I think, was also at some point, I won't say captured, but, I mean, they just didn't do anything. Um, I'm, I'm maybe moving a bit away from the, from, from the point, but we will um, hopefully... Um, share very soon a document to just show, you know, to what extent Parliament basically sat back and, um, and you know, they didn't grab the bull by its horns when it came to complaints and all of that. But so are we, are we um, you know, disagreeing with two-thirds because of, of, of the history? Is two-thirds a, a good number? Well, let's look at it objectively. I think so, but yes, unfortunately or fortunately, Parliament has to vote two-thirds that she must go. I think at this point in time that the amount of negative publicity the public protector has received due to her legal blunders, if I can be polite, um, um, is of such a nature that I think it would be a travesty if Parliament doesn't vote for her removal, two-thirds of them vote for her removal. You know what? Um, um, you know, every person is different. And, and I always hate it when I'm asked to compare someone like Tudi Manoncela with the current public protector because, you know, each and every one is his own person. Everyone has got its good points and its bad points. But just the, the, the sheer trust, you know, a lot of people have in someone like Tudi Manoncela versus, you know, where is the confidence in our current public protector? We'll be talking about Tuli Madansela at the tail end of the show when we deal with the question of amnesty. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, 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 it's a, you know, I think what I'm grappling with is this is not a, a, although it's been through the courts, this is not a court case. This is a parliament, parliamentary process. Uh, and anything can happen. But as you say, there could be fallout if the, polit you know, the political parties don't vote to uh, get rid of the public protector. I guess the, the line is watch this space. Yes, yes, mm. yes. Um, I, 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 re it, it's, um, I cannot think that anyone, um, you know, with objective evidence, this is not people saying, oh, I don't like the way she dresses or, um, you know, mm. um, I don't know, I don't like the way she, she, she looks. It's, it, it, I don't like her personality. I mean, maybe she speaks too loudly or she speaks too soft. It's not about that. It's about objective judgments that is scathing of not her, her behavior, which we cannot allow. We, we really, it, it is just frustrating. And I think a lot of people will, will, will share this sentiment. It is just extremely frustrating that something like this is taking too long. I would be the first person to put my hand up for a proper process because you, 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 do, not, you do not start a process for a person. You need to put a process in place that's objective because what <clears throat> happens the next time when you have the best candidate and people are trying to remove that candidate. So you need to take both sides into account. 
But I must in all honesty say that this process has been one of the most frustrating processes. Well, can't say ever because there's a lot of frustrating <laughs> processes, but it is for, for, for the, 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 you know, the, this, the, um, you know, it's a, it's a big office. It's a, it's a big personality and there's a lot of work to be done versus how long it takes to just hold this investigation. Mm. Is that frustrating? It really is. Well, let's see, let's see if Wayne shares your, your sentiments and frustration. Your, your comments, Wayne? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, who, who really heard of or took notice of the public protector before Tuli Madansela came along? And I think she gave us an understanding of, of what this office can do if it has the moral courage to, to stand up against politicians and protect the public from the abuse. And, and so we saw a good uh, wave of, of high energy in this office, very important office, as, as Stefani says. Uh, and so she set the bar. And then you have uh, Kobani coming along and um, really sullying things and, and, and not doing what we, what we expect the basics to be done. I mean, there was so much evidence in the Asina matter. And to brush it aside the way she has, she's ignored her questions and our requests for information. Uh, and just as, as Stefani says, in court has been lambasted and almost, uh, uh, you know, ruled as perjuring herself. This is uh, not fitting of a good public protector. And we are seeing the same thing now with the Auditor General. You know, Kimi Makweta has set the bar. Who knew who our previous Auditor Generals were? And in the five or seven years he's been there, he really has shown what a good Auditor General can do. So the next person is to fill his shoes uh, is, is, is going to be up for it, and we hope they are. Uh, so so these, these organizations, institutions are extremely important for society. We must cherish them. And we must just make sure that the public are aware of their strength to, to get these messages across. On the two-thirds majority, we do know that the EFF uh, is pro-Kurbani, um, so I don't think they've got a third. Uh, so if there is enough uh, interest and enough uh, uh, collaboration, not collaboration, but, but you know, parties working together, uh, and we sense there's enough there, uh, we think that she will go. Got it. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Outer Hour. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't hit that like and share button, please do so now. We rely on your like and your share to get the program out to as many people as possible. Let's see who's joined us, shall we? Sam Murphy says, hi. Hello, Sam. Good to have you with us. Yochi from Randberg is on board. Randberg is represented, as is Tel Aviv. Alan says hello from Tel Aviv. Hello, Alan, and one day I'm going to come and visit Tel Aviv. I've heard you live in a beautiful part of the world. Nicola Jane Good says, hey, guys. Jeff P. Scott says, greetings, Alta. Lucia Sovranos is on board with us this evening. And Texas, USA, Tony Pesaila. Did I get that right? Or Tony Seiler is on board. Thank you for joining us all the way out of America. Thank you, Tony. We've got a number of viewers that join us from the US of A. It's nice to have you with us. We've got two more topics we're going to discuss on the show tonight. Uh, coming up in just a minute is the Zuma versus Zondo showdown. What does it mean? What is going to happen? Wayne Duvenage will give us the lowdown on that. And then I'm going to throw the amnesty question that was touted by Tuli Madoncela this week and a lot of reaction to that on social media. We're going to have a good discussion about that and we'll rely on your comments and questions on both of these issues. So don't forget to pop them in the comments section down below.
Let's talk about the Zondo v. Zuma showdown. Uh, you know, we had these oblique references uh, a week or so ago, Wayne, that uh, there was a personal grudge between the two of them. At least that's what the Jacob Zuma Foundation was intimating, and, and that, that, that quietened down, although the, uh, the, the press releases haven't stopped, and it is clear that former President Zuma is not going to be going to the Zondo Commission easily. Tell us, uh, Wayne, in a nutshell, what is this current showdown between Jacob Zuma and Judge Raymond Zondo all about? Well, uh, thanks, Tom and, and Stefani. You need to chip in as well here. I think a lot of this plays out in, in the legal space. But, but in a nutshell, um, uh, you know, Jacob Zuma is doing everything he can to stay out of the commission. And the reason is that what is exposed there can be used in future courts challenges and can be held against him. Um, and so far, 34 people have implicated him, uh, other witnesses. Uh, we know that he was central to state capture. This is the State Capture Commission. Um, and so he's doing everything he can to slow the process down, Tom. I mean, you know, what he did do, though, is voluntarily present himself to the commission several months ago. I think it was last year. Uh, and, um, and, and and I think he had this view that he'd now taken the wind out of the sails. Uh, there was a lot to come and let's get in. Let me get in there early so that uh, there's not much they can uh, question me on. But Zondo wasn't having anything of that and indicated to him that, well, we will be calling you back and asking you to come when we're more ready for you. And he indicated there that, you know, he, he, he didn't have an appetite for that. So here we are today. Um, he's being subpoenaed now. Uh, summonses are issued. Uh, he needs to attend the Zonda Commission for four days from the 16th to the 20th of November. And let me tell you, this is the day we're waiting for because, you know, he needs to answer to a lot of direct questions, a lot more evidence that's come forward. And uh, he knows that he's in trouble. This is not the state. This is not the arms deal, which is in another court case that he's preparing for. He's using that uh, as an excuse as well. He's preparing for that. Uh, but Zondo has put his foot down, and this is good because the civil society working group has been writing to, which we are part of, has been writing to Zondo Commission, saying, "Please exercise your powers. Do not allow Jacob Zuma to escape this uh, this process. You're running out of time, uh, and he needs to be hauled." before uh, the commission so that's that's coming and that's going to be a really good uh, show i think i'm going to take some leave and sit down or go to the commission and spend some time there mm. <laughs> devotion moodley says delaying tactics and i guess this leads to my next question when we talk about stalingrad tactics which is often attributed to former president zuma when it comes to his court challenges can you explain what stalingrad tactics means what are stalingrad tactics well, it's a figure of speech taken after a battle that lasted about six months in the Second World War between the Germans and the, and the Russians in the city of Stalingrad. I think it's changed its name since then. But that battle was particularly well known for its very lengthy, drawn-out processes, trying many different tactics to wear each other down. And, uh, and so that, that style has been coined in the court process where where people use as many opportunities as they can to slow the process down or to wear their opponents down. 
Uh, and very often it's the person who's got the most money wins in the Stalingrad tactics because they bring in interlocutory challenges. This is cases within cases. Um, and they slow the whole process down. Uh, but in Zuma's case, this is, this is uh, delaying tactics. This is slowing the process down to stay out of court as long as he can, hoping, and maybe Stefani, you can come in here, hoping for what we don't know. I mean, for instance, the Zonda Commission is running out of time and money, and maybe he can delay himself till the end when, when he doesn't have to appear in the Zonda Commission because uh, there's no more time. It's run out. It's run its course. Uh, so that, I think, is one of the things that are top of mind with him. Uh, but, Stefani, your understanding of uh, the, 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 the modus operandi of Stalingrad tactics, I mean, Jay Kemp, Jay Kemp, uh, who was his uh, lawyer some time ago, made it very clear when he made a comment and a quote that, you know, we're not going to send a champion out for a little fight to win. We're going to fight this room by room, street by street, house by house. That is Stalingrad tactics. And I think Jacob Zuma has made it very clear, even in the... Um, uh, the arms deal matter, he always talks about it once his day in court, and yet he does everything he can to stay out of it. And uh, uh, Zonda's not having any of that, so we are very pleased with his hard and tough action. I'm sure Stefani's got a point or two to yeah, add there. I want to know what the advocate's got to say. Well, I think <laughs> I'm just, um, yeah. It is that whole delaying. I, sorry, I have a. It's like cricket. You know, the, you get thrown a ball and you just tap it and there it goes. And then the ball comes again and you tap it and there it goes. And you know, it's a it's a game. And it it it, it it's actually it's sad because that's not what um, the law and courts and the state capture is there for. You know, it's 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 for justice. And normally, um, you know, in, in this is this is about. What is in the best interest of South Africa? I mean, the State Capture Commission is there to find out what on earth happened and to, to use that, again, you know, it's, 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 it's selfish. Um, what, what is also just, you know, talking about the public protector, what she, she's doing, isn't that also sort of delaying tactics? There's another person that comes to mind, also a favourite lady of mine, Miss Niemi, who also, mm -hmm. you know, there's somewhere this book that they've written all this, you know, all the steps. What as to, you know, how can you, I delay my matter? How can I make sure that something is not going to happen today, but la but late in future? But this is where I want to say, and, and 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 this is sort of if I could dare people, because that's how much faith I have in the system. Not necessarily always the people, but in the system, is. Although the wheels of justice are turning slowly, it is turning. It will get to you. So, um, you know, you can run, but you cannot hide. Nowhere to hide. And I think um, in, in, in this instance, for example, I think um, um, previous President Zuma realized that, you know, his time is, 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 is limited. And, but then I want to ask, you know, if, if you were in his shoes and he's guilty of everything, you know, we accuse him of, wouldn't you also try anything um, sure. in, in, in your, your power to get away? Um, I talked to someone today. There's an expression in Afrikaans, um, and, and every time, I, I, you know, these people come up with some kind of excuse, that's what I think about. 
It's normally people that's scared of something. Are pieces of the, I wanted to ask you <laughs> no. this, Wayne. Are are the pieces of the puzzle that weren't there when former President Zuma testified at the Zondo Commission? There are more pieces of this puzzle that have been collected along the way with the evidence that has been led. Does that make it trickier for him to come back a second time? Is that part of the problem? If there is a problem from his his side. <laughs> well, it, it, does, it doesn't. It just makes it trickier for him because he's got to answer to the questions. And uh, as uh, as the uh, senior counsel uh, Pretorius uh, said, uh, you know, there's there's 34 people that have implicated witnesses that have implicated Jacob Zuma. Now, I don't know how many of them were around or the evidence given uh, when Jacob Zuma first came, but certainly the matter, the questions that he has to answer, and the picture is a lot clearer as to his role which is why we need answers or the Zonda Commission needs answers. And it's going to be very interesting if they get him into court, uh, how he's going to respond to this. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I think he's in a very, very tough space and he knows it and uh, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, uh, you know, the delay tactics, are those the only tactics that he, his legal team is using or deploying at the moment? Is there more? Well, it's it's delaying to get to the Zonda Commission. He's delayed and kept himself out of out of court uh, for the arms deal as well. Uh, there, where he didn't arrive because he was sick and he had sick notes, which the judge was very angry about. Uh, they really have uh, delayed things, and then they bring interlocutory challenges. They challenge uh, some of the other issues uh, in the court of law before the case can be heard. We saw this in our ETAL matter as well in 2012 when we interdicted it. And all these extra cases come in. We saw it with Dudumnyeni. Uh, three interlocutory challenges were brought before the the, 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 the the hearing could get underway about her delinquency as a director. So, so they're very well versed. Uh, as Stefani says, uh, I think Zoom has written the book on, on Stalingrad tactics. And, uh, and he gives it to all his uh, confidants and his friends who are facing the, uh, the might of the law right now. But yeah, he's using everything. I think, you know, he's now questioning whether the judge should, uh, Zonda should recuse himself because, you know, he's had uh, engagements and dealings with him in a professional capacity in the past. Now he's saying things like, you know, uh, Zondo uh, is, is just preparing himself to take over the uh, uh, the senior positions within the court and justice process. Uh, he's just really making a lot of noise, trying to get, I think, not only the courts to slow down or the process, but also to get his followers riled up, you know, and followers outside the court and, and just more activity around him and, 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 and get the public riled up. Uh, so it's all part of a game. There's been a lot of talk about the Zondo Commission being a political witch hunt, particularly from the Zuma camp. Do you believe there's an element of truth to this? Is, is, is politics mixed with commission in, in this case? <clears throat> no, not at all. I can understand why the uh, the corrupt cabal would say that. Uh, but, you know, this is about state capture. This is about corruption. And uh, if you've been implicated and if you're part of that cabal and, and your behavior has shown that, like Ace Magashula, uh, like Musa Benzi Zwane, I mean, there's just so many people that are going to make those statements uh, even the EFF, who you know have benefited from the VBS deals and other matters, they're going to you know shut this process down. But it's only those, as the said, who have something to be scared about. 
uh, we, the public, uh, who are really frustrated with the waste of our uh, taxpayers' money, uh, we want answers, and we don't care who it is. Uh, just get there and answer the questions so that we can get on with prosecuting and putting you in jail. That's the message that we put. I see our outer our viewers are loving Stefani's Bono, what Bonoda Boda comment and lots of conversation. Is that to translate that for us, uh, Yeah, yeah, the English speakers need a translation. I mean, those guys living on the other side of the pond need a translation, Stefani. <laughs> and Esther just told me it's actually, I, I do, so please forgive me, apparently that's, that's my own saying. Um, it's apparently. Um, Benoda Boko and Mark Benoda Strohoff. But it's but it's about <laughs> take cats because I like cats more than, than, ah, than Angela. Okay. Um, it is about if you know if a cat is scared. Have you ever seen a cat yeah, jumps like, like this? Yes. <laughs> That's basically you know, a, a, a scared cat makes a jump. That's my big leap. I got okay. it. I've actually <laughs> that property I live on has got a cat and it does one of those sprongs every now and then. And here's another animal story for you tonight. When I, when I was leaving this afternoon, uh, the, the neighbors over the road have chickens and the dogs got into the front yard and a Doberman was attacking one of the chickens. There was a heck of a fight going on in the front yard. They seemed to get the two away. I was surprised that a chicken was able to fight off a, a, a Doberman. I thought the chicken would be mincemeat in a second, but it didn't. It put up one heck of a fight. Must be a tough South African chicken, that, <laughs> that one. <laughs> All right. Um, it's, an outer, it's a what? An outer chicken. Tough. Absolutely. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to make numbers. <laughs> no, not tonight. Uh, Salim S's name has come up a few times at the Zondo Commission while we've been talking about Zondo to, uh, tonight. Uh, more and more references been made to to this man who some are saying is the fixer. You know, would go along and, and, and get boards to do what he wants and put deals together. You name it, he's been doing it. Uh, is is the heat being turned up on on Essa? Yeah, big time, big time. You ask Rudy, and he's been on the show a lot. Uh, Rudy's view is that Essa Salim Essa is was so central to so much of the money flow that took took place, um, uh, put himself uh, in, into setting up companies, uh, managed everything almost single-handedly as a single director in some of these companies. Uh, you know, I think one of Rudy's comments I enjoy is, uh, Salim Esther was so in control with all of this movement of money that the Guptas probably didn't even know how much he stole from them. <laughs> but anyway... Yeah, wow. no, Salim is, is central. He's one of the big cogs. You know, machine has big cogs. Uh, uh, Zuma was one, uh, the Guptas. But Salim Essa was a massive cog. Without his interventions and his uh, activities, uh, you know, the lot wouldn't have flowed or not as quickly as it did. Michael wants to know what Outer's position on the uh, expectant arrest, or at least the stories we've seen in the media of Ace Magashula is, is concerned. What, what, what's Outer's position? Any, any news? Uh, Stefani, you, you take that. I mean, yeah, there's so much with his name around. He's been very good and clever, not good, uh, in keeping his, keeping his fingerprints off the cookie jar. Uh, but like Lynn Brown, you know, you don't see many males with him involved, but he hasn't been clever enough. And, you know, uh, but uh, Stefani, what are your views 
of Ace. I mean, we believe uh, he should be, he's involved in so much wrongdoing in, in that province. I think there's a lot of conspiracy theories because I've, I've, I've read it quite a few and I think we talked about it um, um, two weeks ago yeah. um, about, you know, why why the report in the IOL, I read somewhere someone said, you know, this is trying to get sympathy. So if something happens and, 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 and whatnot, that there's enough um, sympathy fighting back. Um, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and maybe it is a subject of you, like Wayne is saying, because we, we, we sort of, um, you know, know that there's definitely, there's, there's definitely enough evidence. There must be enough evidence. I mean, we've seen evidence in the Gupta League's late charges and with the whole Estina dairy. There has to be something. So I, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know that for a fact, God say that, mm. but I do think that um, the NPA has got some, something up their sleeves. I really, really got think it. that he's one of the, the, the guys that, um, although um, you know, he, he's not been linked directly, I think he's one of the guys that's going to fall. I really, I, I don't know, it's, it's just a feeling. I think that, you know, he, he does protest too much and, um I really think, I think watch the space. I think something big is coming. Yeah. Here's a question from Ivan Nell. Ivan asks, has Essa's passport been held? Do you know? Essa, Salim Essa is not in the country. He's, in, He's in Dubai. Yeah. yeah. But we'll get him back. And see, that's unfortunately mutual legal assistance and getting, you know, versus an extradition and, 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 and all of that. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, actually the details and the technical details. All I can tell you, it is a process, unfortunately. Mm. And the last I heard, Wayne, I don't know if, if, if you know something more, but that, that, that the NPA and, and the Justice Department, because it's not just the NPA, it's, it's, it's foreign affairs and I don't know what everyone um, needs to chip in, are busy with the process to see if they can't get, um, you know, if they can't get it here. If I'm not mistaken, and, and, and I see Esna's here, she must maybe also um, chip in if she, if she knows. I don't know if we have a, a treaty with Saudi Arabia, um, and, and that makes it more mm -hmm. difficult, although mutual legal assistance is in It is, again, it's one of those processes takes forever and is frustrating but rather do it I think they should do it quicker but I would rather advocate for doing it the the, the correct way than trying to do a shortcut and then at the yeah. end someone you have to let someone go um, because you didn't follow the rules mm. yeah and if he's not guilty what is he, is he afraid of Mm, exactly. <laughs> Got, it. Got it. Got uh, it. Right. I see uh, Bongani and Banjra is chipping in on Zondo v. Zuma saying ultimately Zondo will win. Filing an application for recusal doesn't stop the process. An interdict might stall the process momentarily if granted at all. Mind you, you can't appeal an interdict if turned down. So he has little room to play delay tactics. Right. Let's talk about um, this 
this big word, which it looks like a swear word to some of the people I've seen commenting when we spoke about it at the beginning of the show, amnesty. Uh, Tuli Maroncella, the former public protector, yeah. said perhaps we need an amnesty for the guys who've committed the smaller uh, crimes. Uh, and, and then there was a whole lot of talk in the, in the media and on social media to say, oh, this is a Stellenbosch invention because it's been mentioned by Applebaum, but it was another Applebaum family, not the Stellenbosch family, etc., etc. So it's just becoming this confusing mess. But let's get to the core principle of this. Do you think, and I'm asking the question, I'm going to ask both Wayne and Stefani and ask you, wherever you are watching the Outer Hour from, whether you think there is room for a corruption amnesty in South Africa. If so, what would the terms be? Uh, this is a, you know, when, when this came up and I thought I'll put it in the shows and I thought, oh, gee, I'm not sure whether I want to offer my personal opinion on this one. No. Because the, the, the first thing you think of is, <laughs> hold on a moment, no one should get away with stealing at all. But the logical side of my brain, and I still haven't made up my mind, but the logical side of my brain says there's obviously not enough room in our prison system to jail every South African who has been involved in corrupt activities. So if we go after a couple of middle and big names and we get the big victories, what happens to these hundreds or thousands of people who have stolen a million or half a million or these smaller amounts of money? Do they get away with it to keep Good their point. positions and keep going at it? So, so I, I'll put my stake in the ground and say that I, I agree to a certain extent with the former public protector that there should be a limit set uh, a, a, a monetary limit set if you and this is where it becomes a bit tricky because how do you decide that morally or, or ethically but 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 can you set a limit uh, and then under that limit if you go to the amnesty you confess your sins you pay back the money and perhaps even relinquish your position or your job I think that would be enough for me as a South African however I'm still sitting with this clanging bell in the back of my head going hold on a moment you've stolen from us and you're getting away with it Wayne what do you think mm. <clears throat> yeah Tom uh, this is a great discussion we've had it a couple of times in, in our extra and and I think it's a good one to discuss and maybe we need to put a little bit more time to it yes. at, uh, at the next show but, but let's let's just unpack it very very quickly and briefly um, there's there's many ways to fight the scourge of corruption in a country and amnesty process has been applied in, 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 in other countries when it comes to tackling corruption head on. So I'm neither for nor against, but I want to tell you why I think there is merit uh, for this. Because um, if you, it's not just a blanket amnesty, by the way. You must understand that, that if you go into an amnesty process, it would be something along these lines. If you have been corrupt, if you and you come forward, it's like this truth and reconciliation process, and you tell the whole truth and you help us get the money back, uh, then you may be receive you may receive amnesty. In other words, you don't go to jail, but you don't not live with the shame. By the way, you must understand that that people have lives, friends, family, and to go and step forward and say, "I have sinned, I have done wrong. This is what I've done, and here's how we can get the money back." Now, if imagine everybody comes forward and you do that, why would you want to do that as a country? Because as you indicated earlier on, uh, Tom, this to get to everybody is going to take years. Secondly, um, you know, if you tell a half-truth 
and you, you come forward and say, well, I want to claim amnesty. But somebody else says, hold on, you didn't tell the whole truth. Well, then you don't get amnesty. But your confession has led us to more stuff. So a person who comes forward and confesses, you know what they do? They're actually implicating other people in the process. Now those people have to come forward. And so this chain reaction starts to bring together a process that people start owning up. And it's for a limited time. And from there on, you can start building a culture in the country of fighting corruption. Imagine the slate is wiped clean. And here on going forward, anybody found in this process will be held accountable because we are watching every single movement thereafter. So it has a lot of merit. I think as society, we must be careful not to shoot it down. I know the normal knee-jerk reaction is, oh, no, nobody must get off. Yeah. Well, the reality is that time it takes its toll, and a lot of people are going to get off. It would be turn it on its head, get the, it's regurgitate this whole issue like we did in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Tell half-truths, you still go to jail, you're still implicated. Tell the whole truth, get money back, repatriate, and then we'll decide on how clean. You don't have to go and spend time in jail, but you will forever spend time living with that shame. Your family, your friends, who don't want to know you anymore because you have sinned. People that, uh, you know, so this, there's, a lot, there's a lot that says this is an issue that we should seriously consider. But I know we've had uh, uh, lots of debates, and I'm sure Stefani's got a view as well. Stefani? You are. Stefani. <laughs> She's on mute. <laughs> Here I am. Um, I think you're, it's a difficult one. I, I think I want to go with my gut on this one. I, I, um, I want to say no. I think unless there is a total policy change, in other words, just the way we think about corruption, deal with uh, corruption. So in other words, amnesty for me is about truly understand what you did wrong and then ask for, uh, you know, and say sorry. But truly, you really understand what it is that you did. And I do think that we need to grow a little bit more before um, we can just say, but okay, we, we, because I think it will take from South Africans to say, we forgive you. Well, here, here's, a, here's, a, uh, here's a question I'm going to throw at you. Is there a place in yeah. law where I, I could be uh, convicted, but not sent to jail? Uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm called, uh, you know, I'm known as a convicted criminal. There may be penalties attached, but not incarceration. Is there, is there a place in law to do that? Or is this something that would have to be a commission? Well, you're not going to call it amnesty, but um, sentence options, unless there's a minimum sentence, and then you're unfortunately talking about your more, um, your more serious crime, there is a minimum sentence. Um, well, the court can deviate from that. They didn't take away the court's ability to, to sentence someone. Um, you have to be careful, though. So let me answer your question. You can sentence without getting too technical and uh, too much detail because sentencing is a very personal thing. The court will look at the, the triangle, which is the crime, takes into consideration the community, and it takes into consideration the accused. So it's always based on those three. 
Um, and, and, and that is also, the, the sentencing process is also the process where the court will take into consideration, have you done this before, haven't you done this before? Um, so it's a, it's, it's a more, you know, it's a, a, a more personal thing because um, it, it, it depends on the crime and, and, and on, on the criminal. Sure. Now, a court can generally sentence what deems fit. So you may get a, a, a situation where someone is, for example, a mother. A court has to take into consideration that a mother is, for example, the primary caregiver. And if you send that person to jail, um, you know, isn't there a better sentence? Can't we give that person, you know, an outside sentence where you can get um, correctional supervision? Can't you give someone a fine or can you give someone a suspended sentence? Now, suspended sentence means you are, you are for example, sentenced to three years imprisonment that is suspended for five years, which means you will not go to jail. But if you obviously commit a crime within the five years, <clears throat> you'll be sentenced for that crime and you will then serve your three years. So in sentencing, there's a lot of options, um, but you can also do a, a, a plea agreement. And I think, um, I think I would more lean to, but if you really, you know, like I said, I think amnesty goes with, there's really remorse and, and, and regret, is that why don't you come plead guilty? Come tell us what happened. I can, I can see this is going to be a fascinating conversation and I think we need a, a show to deal with it and get some outside opinion in as well because I, I can just see this taking off and, and we're out of time. In fact, we're, in fact, we're over time. But uh, I do like the conversation and uh, I'm, let's, let's chat with the comms team and see if we can't put a show together where we uh, investigate this issue of amnesty in more detail. Let me go to the comments quickly and tell you what the Outer Hour viewers have to uh, say. Outer asked the question, is there room for a corruption amnesty in South Africa? Uh, the very first uh, reply was uh, Devotion Mudley say no, death sentence. Marina Smith said time for accountability. Jaya Chetty said orange suit. No amnesty for corruption, says Barbara Schillinglaw. Jeff Yuster says, definitely no, no, no amnesty. Attach the assets. Shiresh Soni says, drop the past to build the future. No political positions for people implicated. No directorships. Esna Erasmus says, well, we can build another prison for them. Tom, if the prison, if we run out of space, it seems as if Esna has no problem building another prison. Uh, Roland Krabinov says, amnesty will only be an incentive to prospective looters. Marina Mulberg-Smith says, nope, we'll continue the trend. It is treason, no amnesty, says Donnie Hayward. Uh, Anita Wales says, I agree with Thule, clear the playing fields and start again from a clean slate. Uh, Sharish uh, Sani says it will bring the money back into the system and all for the institutions to build capacity and capability. Uh, Fraser Bryce says attach and auction off the assets of those involved in corruption. Plenty of money to build a new prison. Keith Sorensen says start negotiations with the Dutch. Their national color is orange and their prisons are empty. And uh, Stefani Fix says, oh my, I'm losing it. <laughs> when did you write that? I see Stefani has been writing while she's been talking. Uh, and uh, Judy van Gilsbeck says, why not grant a greasy amnesty? Anita Wales says, all forgiven, wink, wink. Uh, and Douglas Metcalf says, and who's going to pay that, the money that China, the IMF and the World Bank wants back? Who must pay the 170 billion interest a year? Are we going to join other African countries asking for the scrapping of our debts? And uh, Ernest Khan says, it doesn't matter, touch their uh, South African property. 
Roland Krabenoff says whistleblowers need to be incentivized handsomely to spill the beans, much more effective than amnesty to wrongdoers. Michael John uh, Billsbury says perhaps amnesty might be an option once some high-ranking people are jailed. Suspended sentences, devotion. John Skuman says... Uh, Oh, that's a, you're missing that. That's a political. I'm not quite sure what that means, John. Otherwise, I, w I would put it up and we are running out of time. Skulkshut says the power will not humble themselves or relinquish their empires. The corrupt normally believe their actions are just. Uh, electronic tagging, says Judy Hanfelsweig. Uh, the show is too short, guys, says Jay Achetti. Uh, it must be in public and on TV. Lots and lots of comments coming in, and perhaps we can deal with the amnesty question or whether there should be one in, a, in an upcoming show. So we've run a little bit over time. I hope you've enjoyed the extra couple of minutes. A final comment from Stefani Fick. Bless my heart to each and everyone out there listening to us. Um, it, this is always riveting reading except for the fact that then Tom catches me out and I don't listen, reading all the comments. Because you're busy <laughs> typing. <laughs> um, you know, just the way people engage on, on, on this show, it is it's really heartwarming. I say this every week, but, you know, the outer team is energized by our supporters and the fact that you basically care so much about us in the country so that you give us the wings to fly. That's if I can be really... Um, bad tonight. So thank you to each and everyone listening. Thank you to each and every supporter. And tonight I also want to thank, you know, our, our CEO, Wayne Divinage, who puts, you know, with, without him this ship, uh, you know, can't sail. So thank you. And to the whole outer team. I mean, it, you guys are brilliant. So thank you. Wayne, there's a Peter Cetera song that contains the line, well, the winds of change are blowing. Are they blowing now? Your final comments. They are blowing. They have been blowing. There have been little breezes in the past. They were certainly not blowing in the Zuma era. They're starting to blow, and, uh, and we must cherish that. Uh, and we'll be sharing more and more of the good news that's coming. I just want to also say today we uh, had our second webinar. It was on this topic of whistleblowers. This is uh, Mandy Wiener's book. She's just launched. She was on the show with us as well as Cynthia Stimple and uh, Alison Tilly. Uh, it was a great discussion. Go and find it on our YouTube uh, uh, pages and sites, and maybe it'll be featured in podcasts and parts of the uh, of it on Facebook. But, but whistleblowers are just so critical to the process of fighting corruption, but it is such a difficult space, and we need to do more to support them and, uh, and, and and provide them the safety net. So that was a great discussion today, but always lovely to be on, on our to our. And I just want to echo Stefani's views. Our team is just energized by our supporters. To every one of you out there who do donate to us and support us on a monthly basis, we can't do it without you. So thank Keep sharing that message. We only have 45 staff. We would love to have 145 staff with more. As I say, we can always do more. Uh, but great having this discussion again with you. Thanks so much for... We're losing you on, on video and audio, unfortunately, Wayne, but we got the gist of it, and thank you to you too. 
Uh, wow, yes, tonight uh, we could have run for another hour or two looking at the discussion we've been stirring up with the various questions and topics we've faced on Outer Hour tonight. Uh, but there will be another one next Wednesday. There's the good news. Next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, make a date. Come and join other active South Africans and come and join us as we discuss the issues that affect the country and, the, and, and all of us in this country. You know, the, the, the corruption is not going to go away anytime soon and the fight is not over. So uh, do join hands, hold hands with us. Uh, whatever your political persuasion, wherever, whatever your station in life, wherever you're from, you're welcome. There's a seat for you at the outer hour to pull in and discuss your views, put your questions to the outer team, and, uh, and let's keep the discussions going. I'd like to thank uh, Benele Sanatla, who produces the show. Thank you, Benele. And the outer comms team, Samantha Van Espen and Ivor Cleary, who've been working hard tonight. Uh, our guests this evening, Zakira Vadi from the Ahmed Katrada Foundation, Stefani Fick, Head of Accountability at Outer, and Wayne Divanage, your CEO. This show is brought to you by Outer, and we'll be back next Wednesday at 7 o'clock with more to talk about. We can never run out of topics. I'm Tom London, and until next week, Wednesday, stay healthy, stay safe, make a couple of rands, stay positive, and let's make a date for 7 p.m. next Wednesday when the next Outer Hour will be on. Until then, I miss you already. Join Outer now and become part of the solution. To join Outer, go to outer.coza and press the Join Now button.